This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Mike, still filling in for Dave for this final day. It's Friday, February 24th, 2023. And coming up on the second hour of the show, Michael McNeely highlights the classic film, 1989, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. Plus, Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access discusses this year's Freedom to Read Week. But first, we are going to start off with regional news, so we're going to head to Mike Ross for that. Thank you very much, Alex. We'll begin in British Columbia. The Insurance Bureau of Canada is applauding the latest federal funding to help B.C. recover from the 2021 flooding, which it says cost an estimated $450 million in insured damage. But the Bureau says the federal aid is not a replacement for insurance as Canadians experience increasingly severe climate-related disasters. It says the flooding is the greatest severe weather risk. And because of that, the insurance industry alone can't provide affordable coverage for everyone. The Bureau says insurance firms have provided Ottawa with a proposal to create a national flood insurance program for people living in high-risk areas. To the prairies, the Manitoba government says 132 healthcare workers in the Philippines have been offered jobs in the province. They include 73 registered nurses, 14 licensed practical nurses, and 45 healthcare aides. The province says they could be in Manitoba by this summer and start work shortly after. The nurses would be hired through the provincial nominee program, which admits workers whose skills are needed by Manitoba's labor market. Alberta's Auditor General says severe staff shortages led to major care home problems during the COVID-19 pandemic. Doug Wiley's report examined how health officials and those in Alberta's 355 continuing care homes coped over the first eight months of COVID in 2020. During that time, there were 379 COVID outbreaks, more than 8,300 cases, and 1,042 deaths in care homes. He says staff shortages were by far, by far rather, the most common problem. To Ontario, Hydro One says thousands of residents in communities near Lake Erie will have to wait until tonight to have their power restored as it works to restore electricity to tens of thousands of Ontario customers following a winter storm. Utility showed more than 25,000 customers across Ontario without power yesterday afternoon, but it said crews are working very hard to bring the lights back on for many people by the end of the day. A spokesperson said communities along the shoreline of Lake Erie, including the towns of Aylmer and Essex and County of Kent, were among the hardest hit. Hydro One's outage map indicated more than 13,000 customers in the town of Essex are expected to remain without power until this afternoon. Police say they've charged a man from the greater Toronto area in connection with 10 armed pharmacy and currency exchange robberies. Eel police allege several suspects committed the robberies in the region between September 20th 
and 30th. They say seven of the robberies occurred in Brampton and three in Mississauga, alleging the suspects were armed with knives and firearms each time. They say a 22-year-old suspect from Brampton has been charged with 27 different criminal offenses, and police anticipate further arrests and charges. And in the Atlantic region, Quebec Premier François Legault in Newfoundland and Labrador today to start hammering out a new energy deal. The two provinces have an agreement to share power from the Churchill Falls generating station in Labrador, and the deal expires in 2041. Now, the existing arrangement allows Hydro-Quebec to buy 85% of the power for less than half a cent per kilowatt hour, thus netting Quebec the lion's share of the profits. Legault said he is open to paying more if Newfoundland and Labrador offers an attractive rate for power in 2041 and beyond. And finally, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says his government has signed bilateral health care agreements with all four Atlantic provinces and Ontario. Trudeau made the announcement yesterday as he spoke with students at Dalhousie University. The agreements in principle are part of a $198.6 billion investment by Ottawa announced earlier this month to improve health care services for Canadians, including $46.2 billion in new funding. Nova Scotia Premier Tim Houston says his province will receive an additional $1 billion over the next 10 years, which will help residents receive health services no matter where they live. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll check in in a bit with you for the weather. But first, it's time for Sport Chat with Brock Richardson. Okay, Brock. So we didn't get a chance to talk about everything you wanted to yesterday, but you wanted to start off today with the rivalry series. What did you want to talk about with it? Yes, so uh, the rivalry series is uh, the women's uh, Canada versus U.S. rivalry, as aptly named in the uh, title. But uh, the Canadian women were down uh, three to one in this um, series, and they rattled off uh, three consecutive victories to to win the series. Um, you know, Marie Philippe Plan does. Uh, Marie Philippe planned things and leads the char charge. Blair Turnbull uh, scored a couple of goals in in that five nothing win in the final game seven. Uh, really great to see. And let me tell you, Alex, by game seven, uh, these teams did not like each other. As it doesn't take much for Canada and U.S. not to like each other, but it was a great series and uh, really good showcase as always uh, for the women's game and I love the fact that they do these you know seven game series once a year uh, between Canada and the United States just because everyone likes to see those two nations uh, hook up. Yeah you know it, it's one of those things in terms of women's hockey specifically they're, they're the two powerhouses you know there may be the occasional game that they lose in in a tournament to an, uh, another team uh, from from Europe, but at the end of the day, it's typically always coming down to Canada, U.S. And you know the old saying, "Iron sharpens iron." You, you got the two best teams constantly going uh, against each other. They're they're neighbors. They're always going to bring their best, and it's it's entertaining uh, TV to watch and follow for sure. So, for sure. Speaking of other great competitions, the Scotties Tournament of Hearts continues, Brock. 
you're going to give us a bit of an update on how the tournament's going. All right, let's start with the pool that we know what's going on in it, and it's very simple. Uh, Northern Ontario, Krista McCarville, she advances, and she gets the number one seed, so she misses the round where it's a one-game one elimination, and it's a one-and-done, because that's the benefit of winning your pool. You get to avoid those elimination games. Uh, then we have New Brunswick, uh, Jennifer jo- Manitoba, pardon me, uh, Jennifer Jones, and then... Uh, Team Ontario, Rachel Holman. Though those are your top three in that pool, which I don't think surprises many people when I list those names off. Kristen McCarble has had an unbelievable tournament. She's been uh, the runner-up for the last couple of Scotties, and she's looking in fine form uh, to do that again. The second pool is Team Canada. She's through with an 8-0 record, rolling as everyone expected. Now, this is where it gets a bit tough. British Columbia, Clancy Grandy tied uh, with, a, um, with, a, with a record with three different teams as well. All these teams have 5-3 and three records. So we have British Columbia, 5-3. and three. Quebec, 5-3. and three. Wildcard, uh, Caitlin Laws, 5-3. and three. Then we have Nova Scotia who's also at 5-3. and three. So those four teams will battle it out in a wildcard game to determine the rest of the seeds, two versus three, and then they'll cross over with the other two versus three to determine the final four in the championship weekend. So lots of confusing stuff. The games get going at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time for the tiebreaker. Well, the thing though, Brock, when you got so many teams that are five and three, that goes to show just the level of competition. I mean, Canadian curling is almost unmatched, like in terms of the level of competition that is available at these types of events. So it just goes to show there's so much talent out there that any one of these games you tune into, you're going to see real top level competition. So that's certainly something to. Uh, check out as we go into the weekend. Now, uh, you also want to do a bit of a, a quick look ahead at some of the, the highlights of the upcoming weekend, uh, certain games and certain uh, sports you wanted to uh, kind of hone in on. Yeah, and I will also say that um, I think, you know, you're going to see Carrie Anderson back in the final, and she's probably going to win because uh, they just seem to be on a roll, and that would mean four straight in a row but i've been known to give uh, the broadcasters curse in the past so i hope i didn't just do that with uh, carrie anderson but we'll see as the weekend progresses uh what's on tap other than the um scotty's tournament of hearts let's start with hockey uh the colorado avalanche versus winnipeg jets is tonight saturday uh spring training baseball gets started with the toronto blue jays playing the pittsburgh pirates in florida a whole slew of hockey on Saturday, as always. I'm going to highlight a, uh, a couple of games. Edmonton Oilers versus Columbus Blue Jackets. That should be a good matchup, as it is. And then even though both of these teams are struggling, Ottawa and Montreal take on each other on Saturday as well. So lots of great matchups. And, of course, you've got the Toronto Raptors also playing as well. Yeah, the Toronto Raptors trying to uh, build on their position and and find a way into the playoff. I, I still can't believe spring training is, is already... It's not spring yet. It's, it's I mean, it's it's February. It's cold. It's uh, Maybe it'll be a nice distraction for people on the weekend. To just, hey, uh, but listen, 
Yeah. When 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 spring training baseball comes around, that just tells us that spring training is right around the corner. So for me, that's the sign. Is when I hear you know Buck Martinez and company calling spring training baseball, I know that that sun will be popping around very very soon. There we go, Brock. Thank you so much. Uh, you always brought uh, great topics, and it was always a pleasure to chat with you this week. So have yourself a good weekend. It's a pleasure to chat with you, and I hope we get to do it again soon. And thanks so much. Sounds good. That's Brock Richardson, the host of the Neutral Zone on AMI. Well, we go from the sports desk to the weather desk with Mike Ross. Thank you very much. As we begin your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it will be mainly cloudy today with a high of minus 14. The wind chill will be near minus 25. In Charlottetown, periods of light snow today with a high of minus 7. The wind chill, minus 19. To St. John, New Brunswick, you're going to get between 5 and 10 centimeters of snow today. The high is minus 9. The wind chill, minus 22. In Quebec City, you've got a mix of sun and cloud with a high of minus 11. And the wind chill, minus 19. In Toronto, it'll be mainly cloudy with a high of minus 6 and a wind chill of minus 8. Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, has a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of minus 11, and the wind chill this afternoon is minus 14. In Brandon, Manitoba, it'll be sunny today with a high of minus 20. The wind chill will be minus 28. In Regina, Saskatchewan, a mix of sun and cloud, the high minus 21. A risk of frostbite coming your way as the wind chill this morning is minus 44 and minus 30 in the afternoon. Let's go to Alberta, where Lethbridge will have clearing skies and a high of minus 12. But a wind chill minus 45 this morning, minus 24 this afternoon. To Red Deer, skies will clear. The high is minus 24. The wind chill this morning, minus 44. This afternoon, minus 32. To Whitehorse, you got snow between 2 and 4 centimeters headed your way with a high of minus 13 and a wind chill near minus 25. To Kelowna, B.C., next, sunshine with a high of minus 5, a wind chill of minus 7 in the afternoon. And in Vancouver, B.C., it'll be sunny today with a high of minus 1, and you've got a wind chill of minus 6 this afternoon. And that is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike, for that. Ooh, minus 44. I'm glad I'm not in Alberta anymore having to deal with that. I'll, I'll put up with the minus 16s that we have to deal with. Uh, coming up after the break, Michael McNeely highlights a classic film, 1989's Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. You're watching now Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Back to now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, still filling in for Dave. You see, this time on Fridays, you get to take in some of the latest films making a buzz in the industry. But today, film critic Michael McNeely is opening up the vault to highlight a classic film, 1989's Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. The story occurs on the hottest day of the year in a Brooklyn neighborhood where there is a racial tension between black residents and the Italian owners of a pizzeria. 
The tension builds and explodes into violence. Here now to reflect on the film is Michael McNeely. Hi, Michael, how's it going? Hi, it's going well. I'm wearing my Hawaiian shirt and I have a haircut because we're talking about the hardest day of the, the summer, even though there's a snowstorm happening in, in Ontario. <laughs> Absolutely. So what, what do you think makes this film a classic? Unfortunately, many of the events in the film could still happen today, especially with the racial tensions that are documented in the film in Brooklyn. As we know, there are many, many people that have been lost to police violence and brutality, and that is one of the topics of the film. There's still a lot of uncertainty about how we can all live together and get along with each other, when there's a lot of hatred and a lot of um, racism and discrimination happening in the world. Now, this is one of Spike Lee's most highly celebrated, most critically acclaimed films. Why do you think that is? I believe that Spike Lee was able to showcase a neighborhood and the kinds of eccentricities as well as the kinds of um, people and personalities that make that neighborhood one 24-7. I think, I, think um, I haven't seen such characterization in such a long time and I really came to feel to care for most of the characters in the film. Um, everybody has a nickname, and part of the fun is figuring out why they have the nickname that they do. Now, this film uh, it debuts uh, Rosie Perez, and she's been in a ton of works ever since. But what do you make of her character and her performance in this film? Um, Rosie Perez plays Tina who is um, from Puerto Rico, who her family is from Puerto Rico. And she is, she's dating the main character, Mookie, who's played by Spike Lee, and they have a child together. But unfortunately, Mookie is not attentive to the needs of the child or to the needs of his family. Rather, he's just focusing on working in the pizzeria business. So Tina is often left alone with the parenting duties and she feels unsatisfied as a result in the relationship. She begins the film dancing to the credits, which is very 90s. And I think her performance is very well done. I think it shows that she is going to be a star later on in The Flight Attendant and in the TV show Johanna with Brian Cranston. I always enjoy watching Woosley Perez, and I hope you will too. Absolutely. Now, this film features a character named Smiley who in the film has a disability, but he's, the actor who portrays him does not. I In today's context, there would be a lot more criticism. There, there would be more conversation had over, you know, if, if this is acceptable in today's society for using uh, a character with a disability being portrayed by a non-disabled actor. Do you think it's fair to have these types of criticisms on films that, in this instance, is over 30 years old? Absolutely. Um, just think about our conversation about breakfast activities. 
with the very uh, bad Asian representation there, an Asian character being played by a white man. Nowadays, we wouldn't find that to be appropriate, just as the same as we wouldn't find it appropriate for a character without a character with a disability to be played by someone who doesn't have a disability. Unfortunately, this character, Smiley, is very much just a, um, a, a stereotype of someone with an intellectual disability. And because of this representation, there could be many people thinking they know what it's like to have an intellectual disability or that they can find somebody who has an intellectual disability simply by looking for people like Smiley. But there's probably no one like Smiley, and that's that's the problem. Yeah. Um, Smiley just walks and talks like stereotype, and there's no lifting quality. It's obvious that the actor is performing to the masses or giving the masses what they think they want. And... Unfortunately to me, that was the low point of the film. Now, what did you take away from the film overall? I took away that for many of us, our days are similar. Our days are faced fighting injustice or just trying to live with an injustice. I, I learned that, you know, in times of racial tension, there's a tendency to prioritize white people's uh, feelings and emotions and that's not appropriate because people of color have been through so much so much um, more harm than white people could ever imagine and that's what happens when cells posterior spoiler alert when cells posterior uh, burns down at the end of the film the white owner laments the loss of South Pacific, but does not seem to realize that a person was killed that day. And because a person was killed that day, nothing will ever be the same for this community. But unfortunately, there's no understanding of the other person's perspective. And that's one of the things that this film showcases is that we need to do the right thing. We need to actively try and understand where the other person is coming from in a situation. Yeah, Michael, thank you so much for uh, stepping back into the past with me and, and offering up uh, a review on this film. It was great chatting with you again. I think it's, it's a film that unfortunately stands, stands true today, but it's also a film that has a lot of entertaining aspects. So I hope everyone will have a chance to enjoy it. A fun fact is that the Obamas, Barack and Michelle, saw this film on their first date. So without this film, we wouldn't have them necessarily. There we go. That's a little bit of trivia to end the segment. That was Michael McNeely with a classic film discussion on 1989's Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. We'll be back right after the break. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Amai, still filling in for Dave on this final day. 
It is now time to bring in Ramya Muthan, Nisreen Abdelmajin, and Mike Ross to have our daily roundtable. Before we bring in Nisreen and Ramya, let's bring in Mike. Mike, you had a topic that you wanted to, to chat about today. What is it? Alex, there's a school of thought, and uh, this comes from an article that I saw in the Globe and Mail, that the more friends you have uh, later on as you grow older, the longer you might live. However, comedian Jerry Seinfeld on his show once said that one can indeed have enough friends. In fact, his character on the show once said that, uh, I really only have four, uh, three friends. It's, it's all I can handle. So my question to you is, how do you feel about your circle of friends as you are right now? Uh, you know, do you have, do you have more than enough friends? Do you, do you make friends easily? Are you still interested in, in meeting new people and making more friends? And do you think you reach an age for, you know, so for the bunch of us, I'm the oldest guy here. I'll be 50 this year. Can you reach an age where you no longer seek out new friends? So those are my two big questions to everybody today. Okay, well, why don't we bring in uh, Nisreen to start? Welcome back to the roundtable, Nisreen. You get first crack at this question. Thank you. Um, I feel so happy with my circle of friends just because it, I only have three. <laughs> and I think you reach a certain age where you notice who will stand by you or who stood by you at your worst. And then you realize, okay, this is these are the only people I need in my life. And those are the only people that are important to me. And your circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I think I'm at that age where, you know, I don't need anymore. And there are some times where I'm like, I wish I could make more friends at this age, you know, but then uh, it clicks to me that it's just better to deal with the real ones and, and, you know, have those real, real friends instead of those fake ones that are just not going to be there for you at your worst, you know? Yeah, that's a that's such a great point, uh, Ramya. Why don't we bring you in? Like, what are your thoughts? How do you feel about it? How how's your friend circle? Well, I enjoy having um, doing different things or having different dynamics with different friend circles. So I have you know a group of high school. Uh, friends that I keep in touch with because we went through high school together and we kind of like made sure that we were keeping in touch. And then I have friends that we enjoy physical activities together. I also live in a neighborhood uh, with a whole bunch of my friends. So they kind of are like the, the regular hangout group, right? So anyways, all this to say, I do have several groups of friends, but I'm quite an introvert. So I don't make new friends very easily. Um, I like to establish Nisreen, like you're saying, deeper relationships if not just like deeper conversations and so the trusted friends are kind of there already and new friends are hard to make yeah absolutely. at this age absolutely <laughs> well at, at, uh, yeah at any age it can be quite hard especially it's more the circumstances in which you can make them i i, I find like yeah. when you're in school or or you're you're going away or you're living you know in a dormitory or, or something like that you know those types of situations are very easy to make friends because everyone is there for the same reason you know you have an instant understanding oh we're all starting fresh here no one knows anybody you let's let's make friends and same thing with like high school or elementary school w once you get out of those types of situations it can certainly be harder to make friends for me i i noticed quite a bit during the pandemic that my friend circle shrank and i i had worked for a long time where i felt i was almost 
doing putting the effort and working to maintain certain friendships where it's like they, they were never the deepest friendships you know I, I may have been friends with them for a while but you know if you don't put the work in on both sides you, you're kind of just gonna drift apart and you mm -hmm. you stop reaching out and then the other person stops reaching out and you kind of go your separate ways but for me I always I, I'm very similar I have a small group of really core friends that I've known since I was like four years old but I, I also have other friends that I've kind of really have brought in gotten really close at different stages in my life you know from high school to university to college like all these different places I have like one or two that I've kind of latched on to it's like okay you're, you're you're in the inner circle now you can you can stay you get to know the other people so uh that's how kind of I've always operated in terms of like trying to find and make new friends it, it's it's certainly harder I I much like you uh Rami I'm I'm a bit of that introvert that you know I I don't always go out of my way to make new friends but I'm I'm always happy to chat with new people and if, if it's something you know develops that hey we have these shared interests oh you're doing this I'm doing this okay well let's like kind of uh chat a bit more uh, you know we we hit it off we start hanging out or or having fun together more I think that grows but Mike I I find it interesting that it, the the study shows it's like you know you're potentially having a bigger friend circle is gonna lead to a longer lasting like like how how do you how do you sit with that like what's your kind of friend circle situation like and and do you kind of see the the value in having that big friend circle well i think with uh with my situation it's more um i think you and ramia both uh, alluded to it. it it really is about the circumstances in which you have your different friends right so so i like to <laughs> i like to kind of say i have different tiers of friends so we've got like our closest friends right these are the people that you know they're for us having moved away from ottawa to toronto 20 years ago now or 22 years ago now um we met people here because we didn't know anybody here and we made friends early on who became family for us and those are people that we've traveled with that we celebrate holidays with because we're all sort of transplants we're all the way from our family so that became our our friend uh family we have other friends that to you know just people we've known for years and years and years a lot of them from work situations that i i care about very much um but we're not at that same level. So definitely socialize with, with folks. And, and when you see them a lot, it, it it's a different sort of level than just an acquaintance. But I think for me, the biggest uh, thing that affects that, that impacts uh, friendships and, and, and people you meet and, and how you hit it off with them is just the work that I do. So whether it's, through sports or whether it's you know in acting you show up on a set somewhere and you're stuck now with these people for long hours sometimes days at a time and if you're just going to sit off in the corner on your phone it's going to be a long three or four days so you tend to open up quickly and you start to talk to people and um you 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 kind of make a different level of friend with those folks they're work friends right they're they're more than acquaintances they're work friends and you you talk a lot and you you open up a lot but then 
maybe you don't have contact with those folks after that period of time. So I think basically the big thing for me is just um, that we have different levels of friends or different tiers of friends. But I do think that the more you have, um, you know, where you can hang out with people, not see them for two or three months and then drop right back in. I think that's where that happiness and that 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 level of comfort and 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 maybe um uh, of, of happiness leads to that longer life thought process absolutely and and also too you know geography as you mentioned plays a big role in it yeah. you know i got friends all over the country and it's just you you may see them once a year once every couple of years but it's still maintaining that is quite key mike thank you so much for for bringing this topic forward to uh, to chat with us i will say goodbye to you for now uh, Nisreen, thank you so much for hopping on. We'll, we'll say goodbye to you. Ramya, before we say goodbye to you, you got to let us know what's coming up on Kelly and Ramya today. Okay, we'll do. We have our app update with John Beeler, and today he's uh, highlighting, one of the things he's highlighting is how Samsung says users can clone their voices for calls. I'm not sure if that's good or bad news, but we'll find out. Also, Susan Kearney is talking about how we can prep our indoor plants as they wake up from their winter sleeps. And she's uh, talking about basically now through March, um, which is a very important time for gardeners. And we're having a narrator author duo on the chatty bookshelf with Ryan Huey, where we talk all things audiobooks. And uh, the guests are Josh. Rudell and narrator um, for the book. Please report your bug here. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, sounds like another great show. It was it was great seeing you in the office yesterday, Ramya. Have yourself a lovely weekend, and we'll chat next week. Thanks, Alex. You too. That was Ramya Muthan, the host of Kelly and Ramya, coming up today at 2 p.m. on AMI-tv. Coming up next after the break, Karen McKay from the Center of Equitable Library Access discusses this year's Freedom to Read Week. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's the end of the Friday show at the end of a week, so that means it is time to check in with our friends at SELA. It's also Freedom to Read Week, a time to raise awareness on the issues surrounding banning of books and the need for intellectual freedom. Earlier this week, the Writers' Union of Canada presented the, its annual Freedom to Read Award to Farzana Doctor, and here to tell you more is Karen McKay from the Center of Equitable Library Access. Good morning, Karen. How's it going? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm not too bad. So who is Farzana Doctor and why is she being recognized with this award? So she's uh, an author and an activist. Uh, she is very interested in causes around environmentalism, around gender violence, around LGBTQ rights. She actually co-founded the End Female Genital Mutilation Network in Canada, and her books often touch on themes that are um, considered challenging. So many around LGBTQ issues, um, around patriarchy, around all sorts of interesting things. So she's got three novels. Um, the first one was published in 2011. It's called Six Meters of Pavement, and it's a... Um, a Lombada Literary Award. It was shortlisted for the Toronto Book Award as well. And then she has All Inclusive, published in 2015, 
Her latest novel is called Seven, and then she just released a book of poetry last year, 2022. So the the award is to uh, recognize folks that continue to write in, um, in ways and in themes that might be considered challenging in the in the broader community. And so it's great that she's received this. She's a fantastic writer. And in terms of her uh, books, which ones are available uh, through Sela? We love her, so we have all of her books in our in our collection. Well, there you go. That makes it easy, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. So, uh, and there's other books as part of this Freedom to Read, uh, Freedom to Read Week. Oh, yeah, that's always easy to say. So, uh, <laughs> you you like to give us kind of featured selections uh, available through Sela. So, uh, you you recommended some books that have at one point or another been banned in Canada. So. Can you uh, start with Underground to Canada by Barbara Smucker? Yeah, so I selected a, um, a variety of books. This one's actually a kid's book. It was first published in 1977, and it's partially based on a true story. The novel is set in the United States, uh, and we follow a young girl who is named Jaluli. She's born as a slave on a plantation in Virginia, and she's happy there. But then slave traders from the Deep South arrive, and they take uh, Jalulu from her mother to a slave plantation in Mississippi. And this is where she meets a young girl named Liza, who's an injured girl, and they decide that they're going to run away to Canada. They get some help from um, a few characters. Alexander Ross, who's an abolitionist from Canada, comes to help them. And they travel off to uh, to try and make it all the way to Canada. Two of the folks that they're traveling with, men who are um, trying to help them, are captured and taken back to the plantation. But the young girls arrive in Canada, and they're reunited with Jalulu's mother. So this book has been... Um, challenged for a number of reasons. One is that it includes the N-word, which is problematic. Uh, many parents found that it was upsetting and that they thought that it would um, teach their children, uh, interestingly enough, not enough about slavery. So Lawrence Hill, who uh, was the, he wrote the introduction to it in the 25th anniversary edition that was published a few years ago. He agreed that it's a sort of a lighter take on racist history, but it's also, it's written for children. So it's sort of a good on-ramp for having those conversations about, um, you know, very challenging parts of our history. It's a really great book. I read it to my kids when they were younger. That sounds fantastic. So, and moving on to the next selection is the His Dark Materials uh, Trilogy by Northern Lights. Yeah, this is by this is a series by Philip Pullman, and there's three uh, books in the trilogy. So Northern Lights is the title it was named in Britain, but it's called The Golden Compass in North America. It was published in 95. The second book is The Subtle Knife, which was published in 97. And the last of the trilogies, The Amber Spyglass, which was published in 2000. So these books have won a number of awards, including the Carnegie Medal for uh, Northern Lights in 1995 and the Whitbread Book of the Year for The Amber Spyglass in 2021. Um, it follows two children, Lyra and Will, as they sort of wander through parallel universes. So we meet Lyra in the first book, and she is um, at school. She has a, a daemon or a demon called uh, Pantalonium, and she witnesses, she and her demon witness the master attempting to poison Lord uh, Israel, which is her uncle. She warns her uncle, and then she spies in on his lecture about dust, which is a, a mysterious elementary particle. They're in this really fantasy-filled world with all kinds of interesting characters. Uh, Lyra's friend is kidnapped, and she decides to follow him. And so she, they go to a world where um, children have been abducted. There's all kinds of interesting characters. There's, uh, you know, polar bears who speak. Every child has a 
demon who is sort of a spiritual guide for them. So the books are very, um, uh, I would say, anti-religion. They uh, are sort of the antithesis to um, the Lord and the Witch and the what the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, actually by Eliot. Uh, and so the books have been challenged on a number of different um, topics. And, and it's one of those those books that um, I, I think everybody should read. Philip Pullman doesn't do himself a lot of favors. He really kind of fans the flames. Most of the um, challenges come from Christians and Christian groups that they think that the um, the content is is not appropriate for kids. He actually didn't write it for kids. He didn't write with any particular topic or a particular audience in mind. Um, he's won thousands of awards for this these books. They are well received, but they're also highly challenged. Yeah, and it's also been adapted multiple times as well, both in movie and then in the series as well. So it has. Uh, there, there's been many iterations of of this. Uh, classic series. Now, the next one, The Subtle, uh, uh, sorry, Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, another classic American story. Yes. Yeah, so this one was published in 1937. It's um, set during the Great Depression, and there's two migrant field workers who are the main characters, George Milton, who's intelligent but an uneducated man, and Lenny Small, who's a bulky, very strong, mentally disabled man. And they hope to one day attain a dream of settling down on their own piece of land. So they're traveling across the country, and Lenny's dream really is to uh, tend and pet rabbits on the farm. He loves touching them, but he doesn't understand his strength, and so he often unfortunately accidentally kills them. Uh, they they flee from California after Lenny has grabbed a young woman's skirt uh, by accident really, uh, but not let go and he's accused of rape. And so they need to, they need to flee. Uh, it becomes quite clear that the two are very close and George is Lenny's project, protector. So they land jobs on a ranch in uh, St. Alice Valley and they seem to be close to their dream. But even George cannot guard Lenny from uh, the consequences of his strength or the consequences of his actions. It's a very sad book. Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting. It was challenged on a number of different bases. So early it was challenged because of its profanity. It was banned in Ireland in 1953. It was banned in the 70s in a handful of cities around the United States. And it was um, also banned in Knoxville, Tennessee, as public schools are trying to remove, and I'm quoting this, filthy books. Uh, there's a number of Christian groups who have objected to the language that took the Lord's name in vain. But one of the really interesting reasons it's been banned is because of politics. So Steinbeck was very sympathetic to migrant workers and um, very critical of the big business interests running all the farms in, in California. So he's perceived often as being anti-business. He's accused of being communist uh, and even anti-American. And so in the 1980s, there were a number of challenges again around his book. Um, it, it's really unfortunate. And then there was sort of a new trend that emerged, uh, more left-leaning groups were wanting to, to ban his book because of the use of slurs against African-Americans and women and the mentally disabled. It was removed from a number of high school reading lists. Um, again, it contains the word, uh, the N-word, and so that's a problematic situation. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's a classic. And I think many of us, even if we haven't read it, we've seen movies or we've, you know, we sort of know the story of this book. And, you know, it's definitely worth a read. There's a, there's a reason it's award-winning. Well, and, and that's just it too, because like, I mean, going through all these, there, there's a reason why they're on these lists. These are recognized uh, uh, works of literature that, you know, have, despite all these um, like challenges, uh, these these meetings, they've 
stood the test of time for a reason. Uh, the final one on the list is Flowers for Algernon by Danielle Keyes. Can you tell me a bit about that one? Yeah, so this began as a short story and Keyes later expanded it into a novel that was published in 1990, or sorry, 1966. Uh, and it won the Nebula Award for the best novel for that year. It's been adapted like some of these other ones into um, television and theater and film. It was actually an Academy Award winning film called Charlie. So the book follows the story of Charlie Gordon, who's a mentally disabled middle-aged man, and he volunteers to take part in an experimental procedure aimed at increasing his intelligence. So Charlie is determined to get smarter, and he's willing to put the work in to do so. He's the first human subject to undergo this procedure. Uh, previously, only a laboratory mouse named Algernon has been tested, and that was what confirmed the operation's effectiveness. So the, the book is told via a series of progress reports that are written by Charlie himself, tracking his experience and his thoughts as he sort of uh, leads up to the procedure. Uh, in the process of the procedure, his IQ goes from 68 to 185, and the effects obviously are life-changing. It alters all his relationships, it alters the way he sees the world, the way he sees himself, um, and it, you know he surpasses the intelligence of the doctors that were operating on, on him. This is a beautiful book. I remember reading this actually in high school myself. It touches on a number of ethical and moral themes, such as the treatment of mentally disabled people. Uh, it was actually sparked by Keyes, who was teaching English and uh, to students with special needs. And one of them asked if it would be possible for a student to be put in an ordinary class if they worked hard enough. So uh, the the um, situation in the story is that eventually, eventually Algernon begins to decline and Charlie can see this and he can see what's coming for him and what will become of him as his intelligence recede. It's a very sad book. All these books are so sad. Um, but they, but it's just, it's a lovely story. And I really think that it's one that allows us to contemplate how we see ourselves, what role of intelligence is in our self-concept. Um, how our perspective changes as we learn. It's just, it's a really wonderful book. It's sadly, it's been challenged mostly for offensive language. Um, it was one of the American Library's uh, most challenged books between 1990 and 1999. They're usually based on parts of the novel where Charlie's struggling to understand and express his sexual desire, something that he didn't sort of contemplate when he when his um, IQ was lower. And uh, most of the challenges have been unsuccessful. It has been taken out of some of the schools in uh, Calgary and Albert in Alberta. Uh, it was removed from a school library after a parent complained that it was filthy and immoral. Uh, it's unfortunate. It's been returned to most of the school uh, curriculum that I was able to find. Uh, but, it, you know, I think it's a really important book for, for young people to read. Absolutely. Well, and it, it goes to show, too, like the all the books on these lists, like there is intrinsic value in having access to be able to to read them and, and to understand also in the context why they were, were banned, why why they were challenged, why why were they causing um, issues and, and strife within, uh, you know, society at the time or, or later down the road. Is there one that kind of uh, stands out to you as one that's like, okay, you know, this is one that, you know, I, I know it, I'm basically asking you to pick between children <laughs> as, as you're curating yes. this list, but is there maybe one that stands out a little bit above the rest for you? Well, I really loved Flowers for Algernon, and and um, when I was doing the research for this, I, you know, it I 
came across a quote from a parent who said that if we don't talk to our kids about challenging things, if we remove all the challenging things from their lives early on, they don't have capacity when they are faced with challenging ideas or challenging situations to, to really think for themselves down the road. And if you're paying attention to what's happening in the school systems in Florida, or even the um, the publisher changing some of the words in Roald Dahl's um, novels, it really gives you an appreciation for the need to continue to be vigilant around what we have access to read. Um, whether the books are your favorite or not, aren't uh, that doesn't matter so much as the fact that you think about them and that you talk about them and that you consider them. Karen, thank you so much for your time. That's Karen McKay the, with the uh, Center for Equitable Library Access. That's it for the show. It's time to roll the credits. Thank you so much for watching us this week. Host, Dave Brown. Co-host producer, Alex Smythe. Sports reporter, Brock Richardson. Contributors, Ramia Muthan and Nazreen Abdel-Majid. Senior show producer, Andrika Delanerol. Visual producer, Bruce Baclarian. Producers, Paul Daniel, Marianne Dion jones Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Director, Anastasia Spalding-Stenhouse. Control room operator, Daniel Panamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Manager of Operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of Live Production, Paula Deneen. Director of Content Development, Kara Nye. Vice President of Programming, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media, Inc. NAMI Original Production. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.